Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. Good to be with you, Paul. Yeah, you okay? Yeah, it's an exciting time. As, as this is going out, we're a few days out from Development Day. There's That's been right. quite a big build-up to it over the last few months, so looking forward to that taking place. Yeah, so it's our first, we're going to call it a special, aren't we? Yeah. Not only because we've got a very special guest, obviously, but also because uh, it's our first one that's really been about a specific topic as much as the person involved, although we will be discussing with John some other stuff in a minute. So, And it's double figures. It's episode 10 of the podcast. Is it? Yeah. Who knew it was going to last that long, eh? I know. We're doing all right. Listening figures are huge as well, aren't they? And Ofcom haven't been in touch yet. They've not told us off. Well, no, they haven't been in touch officially. No, there's been a few, obviously, reprimands, but um, I think we can gloss over those quite quickly, can't we? Yes, absolutely. Um, so our guest today is John Hibbert, who... He's here particularly to talk about Development Day, although we will get into John's fascinating story later on, um, which we know a bit of, which is great. But we thought that, John, we'd give you the opportunity, uh, and welcome, by the way. Thank you. Just to chat through Development Day. It's coming up. It's a, it's a pretty key date in the calendar. But for those that don't know much about it or don't know what's happening this year, how does it come about and, and, and what is your role in getting it all out there and sorted? So what is it, what is it for, particularly? It predates my time in the diocese, which is nine, ten years now. Uh, but it's it's always been a day that's happened once a year to try and uh, give the churches some quality input to really help them in their mission. So different themes, different years, good guest speakers, and then uh, a range of workshops, which may be locals or, again, uh, guest speakers from outside the diocese. And. One of the good things about it as well, it was my first dev day last year, is that, um, you know, coming out of COVID, it's very much a hybrid event, isn't it? So there's just as much focus on the online side of dev day as on uh, the on-site section. Yes, I mean, obviously it was uh, solely uh, on site um, before the church woke up to the fact that we are allowed to use the internet. <laughs> uh, so um, we have we have now broadened our horizons and it's great because it doesn't help people to be involved maybe who can't get out of their houses or have young children to care for and feel like they don't want to spend a whole day uh, away from home and things like that so yeah it's, it's good that it's online too. The only downside is that the online host this year is a very boring man not very charismatic quite dull who's going to host the on online side of things. Uh, ben I think you're doing yourself down there. Is that you, Ben? Are I'm you afraid the, so. the online host? <laughs> well, I think you should be picking yourself up slightly more than that. Only because Elliot Heiliger, uh, very uh, much a friend of the podcast. Very much a friend uh, of the podcast. No longer with us in Church House. He's moved on to a new role, but he was the host last year. Mm. And bubbly. Indeed, very bubbly, very charismatic, very yeah. personable. Yes. So it's um, big shoes to fill. I'll do my best. Yeah. Well, I'll be there in person, so uh, I won't be uh, following you. I'll be there in person if anyone wants to come and say hello. Um, you'll recognize me by... I'll be wearing a, a red rose and carrying a copy of The Times, but anyway. Um, so, John, just tell us uh, this year, mm-hmm. what, what are the particular focuses of, of Dev Day this year? Uh, so this year we are focused on uh, doing a new thing, uh, quote from uh, Prophet Isaiah, and two streams to it, really. One... One half of Development Day is very much focused on children, youth and families. Uh, and you'll see that reflected 
um, not just in the content of the workshops, but we have young people as MCs for part of the day. Right. Um, it's a really strong theme there, and obviously we're building on a lot that's happened with Centenary Project and with other uh, workers around the, the church. It's been a big positive for us for the last few years, but we need to, to do a lot more. Um, and then the other half is looking at things like starting new congregations, um, planting churches, uh, and also uh, Bishop Sophie will be bringing a workshop on our new diocesan community of evangelists. So a whole bunch of people who are there ready to serve the church in evangelism, uh, whether it's in equipping or, or actually doing it with them. So quite a range of things, um, but the whole theme is around doing a new thing. And three aspects to it, really. We've got, if you like, the why. Um, so that will be addressed by our keynote speaker, the ministry of all lay people. Um, how everyone is invited to join in and play their part. Uh, the what, so we have a, a plenary which will uh, showcase some new things that are happening, but particularly ask those people, what was the first step? Because we're conscious there are a lot of people who have, have got stuck, they don't know quite what to do, where to start, um, particularly when it comes to children's work, churches that used to have it and don't anymore. How do they restart? So we'll be addressing questions like that. Uh, and then the how, which is probably the question then people are always asking, you know, so how, how do we do that? How do we how do we make that happen? And that's really where the workshops will be focused. Um, very practical and helpful. And the location is at St. Thomas Crooks Church again, as it was last year. It is, um, yep. Very vibrant church, very good space as well. I remember there were hundreds there last year and it, it mm -hmm. makes for a really good atmosphere. Yeah, we're, we're hoping it will be comfortably full again. Um, and uh, we're also... We've got one breakout space in the next door Methodist church, so we couldn't quite fit in all our workshops. Uh, and and we do have, as you say, a range of workshops online too. So those who aren't there will will get you know a decent choice of different things that they could they could view. And that's one of the the key positives. It's not a case of online, but it's just streaming what's going on in the main hall. It is very yeah. much catering as well to the online audience, yeah. so they feel as included as possible yeah. with the process. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's probably worth saying for those who, who think, well, it's no good telling me this now, it's it's happening next week, I'm already, you know, I've already gone to see the mother-in-law or whatever it is. We will record quite a lot of stuff, so there will be videos and other resources online. In fact, Graham Sandersfield creates an event hub, which has lots of other resources as well, so opportunities for people to catch up on things, and, and maybe if they went and went to a particular thing, well, they can catch up on something else. And I won't be offended if you need to dip out from any of the online sessions that I'm hosting. That's absolutely fine. I won't be offended uh, as long as you get as much out of it as possible. Well, I've got a wedding service in the middle of it. So I'm going for the morning. I'm going to the wedding service at one and then coming back for the afternoon and then going to the after party afterwards. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be dipping in and out. So, And a bit like Diocesan Conference last year, it's kind of a who's who of people in the diocese. What's great is the people I've met throughout my time here over 18 months, a lot of them tend to be at these events like Dev Day, gathered in one mm. place, you know, from all sorts of traditions and backgrounds. I think that's really a real mm -hmm. positive thing. Yeah, no, that's good. And numbers are looking good so far? Uh, yeah, it's filling up. Um, I hope by the end of next week, we will be full on site. Um, we can take plenty of people online. online yeah, of course. <laughs> I think we have yes. a license for 500 and we're nowhere near no, that. No, that's fab, great. So, uh, and so when you say <laughs> development day, what do you feel, so, so as, as part of the organization group mm. around it, What's the end game here for you? What will you feel is a successful development day? How would, how would that be measured afterwards? Obviously, we hope that people are going to come and find things they can take away 
and actually put into practice. They don't necessarily even have to do that on their own because we have lots of people who are willing to get alongside them and get involved. Um, there will be uh, a number of um, stalls at Development Day with people who can resource them, uh, buildings, uh, generosity. Um, there's the, the, the general resources from church house, all sorts of things. So when they, when they go away, if they're thinking, well, that, I'd want to do that, but I just still don't know quite how I'm going to do it then we would come and work with them. So that's really the aim, is, is to hope that people will find something they can they can do to start a new thing. I mean, we've actually given it a title this year because one of the comments that people said to us is Development Day. Well, what does it mean? Yes, is that's, that that's for right. Me? Yeah. Is, it, is it something to do with building a house? What You know, what is it? Um, so we thought, right, let's try and give it a title each year from now on. I can't promise anything, but I seem to remember Bishop Pete briefly wearing a baseball cap at Dev Day last year. Or did I just dream that? That was an episode of Succession, was it? Or... <laughs> Again, that's not promised on the agenda this time. But, uh... I may have missed that. I know he made a lot of references to his suit, but um, yes, he, he did. bought in a, in a um, charity shop somewhere and then had managed to damage in some way, which was quite shocking. I mean, imagine losing all those two pounds or whatever it was it cost him he's very eco-friendly with his choice of clothes i think he shops in a very sustainable way so i think he was trying to excellent on brand yeah, very um, much but one of the things as well that feeds into this that we want to plug of course is way faith fortnight which is 22nd mm-hmm. of october to the 5th of november yeah. i understand hannah sandoval our lights for christ enabler will be speaking a bit about that at dev day uh, yes, we've got a slot after lunch, uh, Hannah, and then uh, John Marsh is introducing something new as well, another resource for people. Um, I don't mean something for them to do, but actually to help them do what they want to do. Um, so, yes, Hannah, I believe, is going to have badges there for people to collect. So quite a lot of people will collect their Wear Your Faith Fortnight badges. So, yeah, it's about linking these things up. I think also, if I, my mind serves me right, LJ is going to bring new copies of Network uh, for people to collect. Which is, as this episode's going out, it's been uh, released today. So the digital version is out today, out now. Um, but we are printing a limited number of physical copies. So yeah. all being well, uh, they'll be available uh, at Dev Day as well. And Excellent. lots of good stories from across the diocese there. So hopefully people can get a, a look at that, either physical version or digital version. Mm-hmm. So to recap, it's on Saturday, the Seventh. 7th of October mm-hmm. at STC. Yeah. And it starts at... So 9.30 is the start, but people will arrive from 9. Nine-ish, yeah. And we'll be finished by 4. Yeah. Um, we always say 4, because then if we manage to finish 10 minutes early, everyone thinks we're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Parking around STC can be... There are lots of side streets to park around, uh, but, yes. but uh, you just have to find your way and park yeah. around there. They haven't got We've got a little bit of parking um, at a, a local church, but really that's for blue badge users. Yeah. Um, last year we had the whole car park, but there's something on this year, so ah, it's, right, okay. it's shared. But yeah. at least we've got somewhere really close for them, hopefully. Yes. And signing up, what's the best way to do that? Um, yes, before I talk about signing up, your word signing triggered me, um, and blue badge. Um, one of the things that we do always with these events is we do sign them for people who have hearing yeah, problems. And uh, so it's just worth saying that in case there are people out there thinking, oh, I'd like to go that, but I wouldn't, wouldn't hear it. Well, you, you, would, you would get that help. Um, plus, obviously, we use wherever we can, um, writing on the screen and stuff. Uh, but going back to your signing up, um, if you go to the Darcism website and type in Development Day, um, it will come up with a page which will then link you to Eventbrite and you just work through the process. It's free. There's quite a few things to choose. 
Um, but basically, it's it's fairly simple, and then you'll get a ticket, and uh, I believe it then will send you some information as well. Yeah, and again, has a link to the program and everything. Indeed, um, yeah. We've been posting it on the Dice's social media as well, so it's very yeah. sort of straightforward to, yeah. to sign up and find as well. Yeah, great. That's great, John. Thanks so much for for coming. First off, to talk about that, mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've not been to one before, so I am looking forward to it. And I have signed up for certain seminars that I'm quite interested in. And I know, um, right. I know there's some couple of things that we, as a church, are looking at. So it'll be really good. And it's well placed in the year as well. I think you know, you know we're getting into the autumn season. It's getting mm-hmm. darker, but there are more positive things to look forward to. Like I've mentioned, Way Faith Fortnight. Actually, I think this being positioned in October is quite strategic in a way. It's yeah. um, encouraging us looking ahead to the sort of the, the winter month as well yeah and I, I remember you spoke very well last year as well leading some of the prayers and i think that's a good encouragement to others as well mm-hmm. thank you i think it's time to delve a bit deeper into to yourself personally john if that's okay mm-hmm. um so i've got your bio here it's a fascinating one we might have to sort of dip back and forth between uh, different parts of it so john who's reverend john hibbard you're of course um, yep. ordained uh, one of our mission development advisors here at the diocese uh, John grew up in Salisbury uh, with no real links to church at all throughout childhood. Uh, went to Oxford to study chemistry and very much enjoyed student life. He then gradually embraced a Dawkins style scientific atheism uh, before, well, we'll come on to this story actually about how you went from that scientific atheism, uh, the Dawkins approach, which I think is really interesting. Um, you also worked for a chemical company and lived in Cambridge where you met Sue, who is now your wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holy Trinity Cambridge was very formative for your faith and you both have two grown-up daughters and four grandchildren. Um, we'll go a bit more into, you've sort of gone into detail here about ordination, but I just want to sort of go back to uh, that first initial part. You mentioned the Dawkins style, so referred mm-hmm. of course to Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Um, how did that develop? When did you first lean towards the atheistic style? So I suppose uh, when I was at school, I was just totally disinterested in anything to do with religion. So uh, I was quite a swat at school, which perhaps therefore not surprising where I ended up at university. But the one, the one subject that I never really put any effort into was RE, because I felt it was a waste of time. Um, and um, my school, which was just the, the grammar school, happened to be near the cathedral. So we used to go to the cathedral once a month for services. But they, they did, I mean, the building's fabulous, but the services did nothing for me. The, the only good thing was if it happened to be on a morning when you missed the first period of double maths, because, um, I mean, double maths is hard. Um, so single maths is hard. <laughs> single maths is hard. <laughs> <laughs> double maths is just twice as much. Um, but um, so it, that's, that was where I started out. But when I went to university, I then, of course, met Christians who tried to share their faith with me, which I now understand and appreciate. Um, but at the time, it just made me argue against them. And the, and the more I did, the more I found I could do so. And I basically took a position where, why would you bother with all this made-up stuff when science can explain the world? That's why I describe myself as a bit like Dawkins. I didn't know of Richard Dawkins then, but that's basically his, you know, the angle he's taken. And um, then you started going out with a, a Christian girl, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of changed the process. So tell me a bit about the story there. So, um, yeah, I suppose, you know, where argument failed, uh, another approach uh, won. Uh, So I still remember what she said to me. She said to me, you think you're very intelligent. And I have to say to my shame, I thought that bit was true as well. Um, She said, but you've never really thought about it. You've never given God a chance. 
And I thought, well, that's that's fair. I haven't ever really looked, so I'd never. I wouldn't have called myself a seeker, but I thought, well, in the in the principles of scientific inquiry, if you like, I should at least allow myself to look. I can't. <laughs> to be honest, I also thought, well, what's the chances? Eh? What's the danger? There's nothing in it. Um, so I began then occasionally to go to church with her, have discussions with people, and so on. But nothing really happened. Uh, and I left university, still still unscathed, a good atheist, as I sometimes say. Um, but when I came back to visit one weekend, uh, on the Sunday morning I woke up and I thought, things look different. And then my second thought was, I wonder if God has come into my life. Now, I don't know why I had that thought, but I thought, what what experiment can I conduct to see whether that's true. I didn't, know, I didn't know any chemical ones, but we were going to church that morning. So what I did, when we went to church, I never used to, to pray or sing or anything. I'd stand up and sit down, that was it. Um, but that, that morning I joined in inwardly and I simply knew there was a connection. Something had changed. And I didn't say anything to anybody else, to her or to my, her other friends. And I went back to where I lived that night, travelled home on the bus. And by the end of the day, I have to say, I, f- I thought it was really funny because I knew something had changed and they hadn't a clue. Um, and then for the next week, I, try, I thought, well, I'd better do what Christians do, or at least what I thought they did, which was to read your Bible and pray every day. So that's what I started trying to do. I only knew the Lord's Prayer, really, but I could read a gospel. Um, and then when the next week came, I, I went back uh, and told them what had happened. Um, they said something very funny. I, I'll finish with this bit on this. I'll let you get, get, you get in again. But they said to me, well, we've been praying for you for long enough. So I, I thought, well, does that mean they were about to give up? Or does it just mean they've been praying for a long time? Because um, I thought prayer didn't do anything. Uh, but maybe it does. You then mentioned in your bio that the breakup was a key part of you ultimately going into ordained ministry. So just tell me yeah. a bit about that. So um, we were supposed to get engaged and we were going to have the engagement at Christmas, but by in the autumn we could see things were going wrong. Um, so um, because she was still at uni, she discovered something called Mission 83 in Lausanne, which is a big missionary conference. And she said, perhaps we should go to that and we should say to, our, to both sets of parents, you know, well, we can't have the engagement because we're going to be aware of this, we'll have to postpone it and then we can split up when we come back. Um, and um, that's a level of clarity <laughs> of thought there. It was, yeah, it was. So, but I mean, we had to, we were sort of thinking, well, we, we need to find a way around this, you see. So, we went to Mission 83, and I mean, what struck me well, two things struck me really. The first one was I encountered Christians who were absolutely all out for Jesus, people like Brother Andrew, George Verwa, yeah, and so on. And I mean, it was just amazing. And some of the African speakers were incredible. Um, so that stuck with me but then of course when we came back we went our separate ways at the train station and we we both knew that was it but it faced me with a question was well did I do it for her or did I do it because it was real Um, and for me I thought no I did it because it's real doesn't make any difference that she's gone I mean at the time but it um but you think no this is this is it that's really powerful, I think, yeah. because it could easily have gone the other way, couldn't it? Because it could, of everything yeah. they'd gone through, you might have thought, no, I'm, I'm not going to carry on with this. Yeah, yeah, if that's what Christians are like, I won't bother sort of thing. But, yeah. but you know, things happen, and it, that's the way life is. Um, so, um, 
I was once asked by somebody in this same sort of context, you know, so, oh, was that, you know, when this person who'd led me to Christ, they said, well, was that Sue? I went, uh, no, actually, sorry, it was another person. And they didn't know where to put themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the way things go. Yeah. And then in terms of um, ordination, you trained in Bristol, is that right? Yes, yeah, trained in Bristol, which was, which was great. I had three years down there um, and uh, really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, lovely place to live and some great lecturers. I went there because the course was, I don't know if it still is, but was very integrated. Mission was integrated right through it and was very impressed with the way it was done. And you said to God, you're happy to go anywhere except London. And then you did your curacy in? Uh, London. <laughs> North Alt, the edge of London. Um, I mean, we weren't, we didn't sort of say, well, we won't go there, evidently. Um, but it wouldn't have been our first choice. We, I mean, we actually at the time had said we'd be happy to go north, and we did actually look at a place in Chester Diocese at one point, because um, we know still today a lot of people don't want to go north, and we we didn't mind. Uh, we're quite happy to go anywhere, really. Um, but in those days, they used to say, look for the person to train you, not the place. And when I met the training incumbent, I was really impressed by him. And it wasn't my tradition at all. It was very, a very high church. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a real learning experience. And a very multicultural area as well. Uh, not the first one, not my curacy, but yes, when I moved to Southall, um, I, I, I can put into my CV that I've been the minister of a majority non-white church. We were about 40% from the, uh, different Caribbean islands and about 20% Asian, Iranian and 40% what one of my neighbouring vicars used to call ancient Britons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, quite a mix, really. In fact, some of our white folk were um, from uh, Poland. So uh, it was a really lively mix and loved living there. That's why I learned to cook Indian food properly, really. So uh, um, some of that resonates with me because I, mm -hmm. I was not a Christian when I met my now wife, Becca, mm -hmm. and um, there's a whole story about that which one day may come out on this podcast. But... Um, Having had that time when you were around Christians and very clear that nothing was happening, yeah. and then hearing afterwards that we were praying for you all along, and we will all, all, I'm sure of the three of us in this room, will have friends that we just think are so far away from ever having any faith experience, mm. and we we will think, oh, we're going to really pray for them. And then a few years in or a few weeks in or a few months in start to get quite, well, mm. there's no change. Has that influenced the way you see mission now and that story helps you around helping people through mission development? Yes, I think it does in, in the sense that I think, well, if I came to Christ, I don't see why anybody else shouldn't. Um, I, had no, I had no motivation to. I, I, intellectually, I was against it. Um, I didn't have the background in terms of understanding the Bible and everything else. People say, you know, people are big, biblically illiterate these days. Well, they are. But then I wasn't literate. So I think God can break through any barrier. But I think it does also mean that you need to pray. Uh, I remember I prayed, it was 13 years that I'd been praying before my dad gave his life to Christ. Now, it's possible that he already sort of had a Christian faith. But he knew that something had changed because he, he talked about, he had a head knowledge. He could have said the creed and kind of meant it, but it wasn't really in his heart. And he knew the difference. And, and, and he was a lovely man, but I mean, he was a transformed man. 
when he made that particular step of faith. So, you know, that, that does help me. I, I, I think it's always helped me. When I was a curate, one of the they, one of the readers was someone who'd always been a Christian, and he just couldn't understand why people, he said, the church is here, why don't they, they can come, anyone's welcome, they can come anytime they like. And he just didn't understand what it was like to be outside of faith and, have, and, and see that building as irrelevant, whereas I did. And he, he said to me one day, he said, you do have an advantage over me. He said, I just can't see that. So, yeah. I think this can be a very powerful witness. And we've, we've been blessed, actually, with a diverse range of faith backgrounds on mm. this podcast. Yeah, and, I was just going to say that. Yes. And if you have had a very atheistic background, I think that is a powerful witness because often the assumption or the stereotype can be, oh, someone who's trying to convert me or talk to me about the gospel and Jesus, oh, they they grew up in a vicarage yeah. they've had that background so you know they're different to me whereas actually that's not always the case no i think i think you're right um i mean there obviously the other there are disadvantages because you learn a lot of bad habits when you're a non-christian for long enough <laughs> <laughs> so you know i mean that, that's that's the other side of it whereas maybe these people who've always grown up with it they perhaps have a Maybe they've had a simpler road, I don't know, but I suspect we can all learn bad habits, really. That's but only the personal rule of life from <laughs> yeah, Hannah Sandoval. Very much on brand again. But, but isn't that the extraordinary thing about God, though, that mm. there, isn't, there isn't one pathway to knowing him? And if True. we could write down a list of how you get to that point, it might make our work, <laughs> our work collectively, much more easier. But God isn't about that, is he? No. So, Becca, as we've mentioned before in this podcast, Christian family... Brethren, father, very straight mm. up and down, quite strict background, and has loved Jesus since she could think about that concept. Mm. Myself in my 20s, I've done all the bit, and then finds it like yourself, suddenly start to find this God. And a mixture of that, we've had people on here who've known Jesus very early on in their life, then drifted away, then come yeah. back. So God enables all of those moments so yeah. that we can all have a, not a different experience of him, but an understanding that there isn't one rule fits all here. He's a yeah. god of, of of creation, of creativity, of multiplicity. It's 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 an amazing stories that people have, yeah. and no two stories are ever the same. And you must find that all the time. Oh yeah, I agree. Yes, I mean, the last job I did was in doing evangelistic work around the UK, and one of the things we would teach all our people to do is how to share their story. And so you got to hear lots and lots of stories. We used to say to them, you should be able to do it in three minutes. Yeah. Um, or, or you should be able to do a little bit of it in half a minute because sometimes it's conversational like this. You can't tell the whole thing. Um, and you just heard all sorts of things. And sometimes you'd work with them and, you know, and they'd start by saying, well, I grew up in Sheffield and I went to school, this and that. And you think, no, no, cut, cut all that. That was what happened. Tell us what happened. Or, I mean, there was a guy once, I remember him talking about how he'd been in the army in this. Uh, but actually the nub of his story was that he used to do uh, black market or bootleg, whatever you want to call it, liquor when he was... Uh, on when he was posted in Saudi Arabia right and this that and the other and you're thinking no start there because yeah. if you start there people will be listening and yeah. then you can fill in the yeah. details and stuff start with the start with the bit that catches the imagination so you yeah. could teach people to, to to tell their story better but it's still their story yeah so um, yeah that's absolutely right I, I think it's looking at things anew as well you mentioned you know your dad might have initially been able to say the creed by mm. heart but actually thinking about it I always think about that with things like the Lord's Prayer because you think about going back to Sunday school, being able to recite it off by heart mm. for years, but how often have I actually 
sat down and actually thought about the meaning and the implications of it. And yeah. even though you've said it thousands of times over the years, you can it can illuminate anew, I think, when you actually look at it again. Yeah, sure. I, I remember a lady from my curacy parish who came into the church from outside and <laughs> I still remember when she said, oh, she said those two lines about forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. She said, oh, I never say those. She said, because I never sin. <laughs> and you think, where do I start? <laughs> but you can see she was quite sincere. From the Lord's prayer. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I never say those two lines because I can never forgive her over there. Well, that's that's a, unfortunately another reality, isn't it? But, yeah. There's a great buzzword here as well, John, about itinerant evangelism. Yeah. Um, you were involved in that in 20 years. Just tell me about what that phrase means, first of all. Uh, so uh, an itinerant uh, is just somebody who's nev- never in the same place for very long. Uh, it doesn't mean I was on the run. Um, but I-, I worked for a small missionary organization and we used to go and work with churches all over the country, all denominations. Um, and we do anything from a single church mission right up to a whole county. So we did a whole load of, of things with-, with all the denominations across counties, Kent, Cumbria, um, two in Cornwall, one in Ulster, the old nine counties, all sorts of things. Um, and it was it was built on really just getting out there and sharing the gospel with people. Having events, yes, but doing a lot of visiting, a lot of pub work. Well, that was a particular feature of the, you know, partly because I recognised in churches there were generally more women than men. And in the pubs, there were still generally more men than women. That sort of changed a bit, perhaps. So it was an attempt also to reach out and see if we can't interest the blokes in in Christian faith more as well, particularly. But it, we worked right across the board, really, um, and did some work in East Africa as well. So I've worked in Uganda and Kenya and, and seen, I mean, when the, the people from Bondo came, it was that same really vibrant faith. You know, we're building a new cathedral because we've grown too much, you know, what a problem to have, that sort of thing. Mm. You know, I've I've seen that sort of thing. Um, just that different side of church work in Africa. So, oh, go on. So it's, it's just worth mentioning this for listeners. Um, we had a delegation, Sophie Borton, Bishop Sophie and Hugh Thomas, yeah. uh, went to the Diocese of Bondo for a visit, mm. and then a delegation from the Diocese of Bondo came yeah. here to Church House quite recently, and it was, um, yeah, fantastic to meet, Great to meet them, Bishop yeah. David and, yeah. and his sort of entourage there. Yeah. So with your background, really, in that, what am I going to say, quite straight up and down evangelism, right? mm-hmm. going into a pub yeah. and, and telling people about Jesus. I know there's yeah. much more to it, and I don't mean to diminish it, but that's that's what you were about at that point. Coming into this organization in a chef, mm-hmm. in a diocese that has, you know, issues, and we're we're working really hard around growing the diocese, the three mm-hmm. hours, all that sort of stuff. How, how do you, are you feeling about that? Are you looking forward with development they think I'm really optimistic are you what, what what's your feelings around that I think one of the reasons why I moved back into a diocesan post was um, it was great to work with churches and to see them uh, get enthused for evangelism but often then used to see them retreat again uh, go back into their shells just do what they'd always been doing and I thought well if you could work in a diocese maybe you could work more long term mm. to transform churches change that culture so that people become more confident about showing their faith long term um, my experience is that it hasn't actually proven this that simple because you're still going to get into the churches in the first place and work with them and, and quite often if I'm honest 
evangelism is quite a long way down the agenda, uh, the priorities of what churches are doing. Uh, partly they're ju- they are busy, they've got a lot of other stuff going on, but my argument would be, well, if you don't share your faith, then I'm afraid at, at some point you're just going to decline as a, as a church, as a diocese, whatever. You, you have to engage new people with the gospel. It's the only way you're going to grow. Um, so that's the challenge I think we face, which is why we've, we've tried to draw together a whole load of people in the church who are keen on evangelism, different angles, church army, people who've been on bishop's missions, our lay parish evangelists to form this diocesan community of evangelists to try and serve the church more in this. So I'm trying to get a few things going with that along with other colleagues and just sort of see where we go. It, I mean, it's partly about equipping people to evangelize in their everyday life but maybe also through events and other things um, so that we, you know, we have a get, we have a go. We try and engage people with the gospel. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff on the missions we did was just one-to-one and, and conversational. It wasn't necessarily going in and talking at people. It was going in, start striking up a conversation. In the pubs, we had gospel beer mats. I mean, they're often a good start, you know, a bit different, not the sort of thing you expect to see. It hasn't got sort of well, I better not say any names, I? You know, the name of the brewery on one side, it's got yeah. something else, you know. We're not getting paid advertisements just <laughs> no, now. Yeah, we are looking for monetization. Product placement. So. Yeah, we'd love that. Um, <laughs> one of the great things about Development Day last year was um, emphasis on sharing faith. So, again, yeah. it was Way Faith Fortnight around that time last year as well. Yeah, yeah. And Hannah got some good testimonies from people about what they were wearing faith-wise, but how that was sharing faith too. And I remember she filmed a good video with you. Was it a hoodie you were wearing in Welsh? Yes, it was. Yes, it was Taith uh, Dewi uh, Sant, which was uh, the Walks and David mission, um, which was, yeah, had bilingual. In Wales, everything is bilingual. Uh, and now at 25 miles, no, 20 miles an hour. Mm. But um, the, uh, uh, yeah, so Taith Dewi Sant was a, a mission around St. David's Diocese, um, which uh, was, was good, really good mission. And it opens mm. up those conversations because people yeah. would say to you, what does that mean? And then you can go into detail a bit more yeah. about yeah, um, but the nature around evangelism has changed, hasn't it? And the way we view evangelism. So you know, mm-hmm. we're old enough to yourself and I, John, to remember. You know, back in those sort of eighties, yep. coming to the nineties days, a very charismatic, um, not just the renewal movement, the restoration movement, the house church movement of of evangelism being quite hard nosed, really. You know, you, you you literally were saying, how many people have I spoken to about Jesus this week, and so on mm. and so forth. And, and the style of that and the way we do that seems to us changed in that we we tend to back away a little bit from that sort of straight up and down evangelism, you know, the door knocking days and all that sort of stuff. Is that something that you think we should move back towards or is, was you, do you think that that's because we live in a different time and a different era that we have different strategies? Um, I think for me the change is slightly different to the one you describe. So... The change I've seen is a move away from the uh, the big event evangelist. Reinhard Bonnke's sort of tent or whatever. Billy, Billy Graham Billy here. Graham, yeah. Yeah. So in, in his day, Billy Graham, very effective. But I think if he, you know, and, and he partly actually, to be honest, not just his style, but because who he was, a man of immense integrity. Um, but I think if he were to come back now, he would not draw the crowds yeah. because people would say, oh, I've got other things to go to. Um, so what I've seen is a, a, a move away from big event to smaller uh, events focused around friendship groups, networks, and so on, mixing social with 
so good you know good social things interest things interest based but then finding a way within that to communicate the gospel so we have a mission next week in the beacon mission area and one of the nights is a um is focused around art and the speaker will show some of their paintings but also talk about their story of faith and also communicate a gospel message that relates perhaps to creativity and art now that for me is is something that still works really well yeah. and, and we do have to communicate something verbally of jesus if people are going to get it yeah. um but it but that can also just be in one-to-one and getting to know people and so on so just before we um, come on to your hobbies and sort of outside interest, John, um, yep. just talk me through your journey here to the diocese. You, you mentioned here you were looking for a diocesan post. You wanted mm-hmm. to work longer term with churches to help embed that mission and evangelism. Um, just go into a bit of detail on that. Um, I suppose it was, a, I mean, I could have stayed where I was um, and just carried on doing what I was doing. I was enjoying it. But there was just a sort of, I suppose, a gradual restlessness to, to, to try something different. Um, and so I, I think I applied for, I don't know, a couple, I certainly got interviewed for one other post before this one, uh, which I'm fairly close to getting, but didn't, and, and retrospect quite relieved. Um, but um, yeah, it just it just felt like the thing to do at that at that point. It's hard to describe, because it, I mean, it's, well, the other <laughs> the reason it's hard to describe is it's nearly 10 years ago. So it's a longer time ago to remember that what I was actually thinking at the time, but, Basically, it's just that sense of, I think this might be the moment to try and do something else. Uh, you know, nearly 20 years, you can become, you think, oh, I know how to do this. And actually, in one sense, we should never think that about any ministry. Because, yes, we've developed skills and experience, but actually we're still utterly reliant on God to move in any ministry. Otherwise, we're, we're just doing it in our own strength. So sometimes it's good just to move on and do something different. I think that's fascinating, John, and um, hearing that journey, that journey from atheism to faith and how you've evangelized over the years, I think it's been been fascinating. Uh, coming on to the sort of more lighthearted section, um, <laughs> your hobbies outside of work, running, traveling, camping, uh, walking pretty much weekly and year round, you've said here as well. That's been one of the real joys of moving here. Um, our nearest hills, we lived in Cambridge before, our nearest hills were the Peak District, really. And now yeah. they're just around the corner, which yeah. is lovely. Um, and yeah, it really refreshes us. And and it's it's been a revelation to walk year round. Um, I mean, sometimes it's not much fun in the winter, uh, but but it also sometimes it's incredibly beautiful. So we've been up on Whitwell Moor when there's snow on the trees and you know ice crystals hanging down and whatever else. Um, it just yeah, it's just lovely. Um, and just to plug Network again today, there is an article, of course, in today's edition, uh, which you've helped to write of the peak pilgrimage you held this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want to sign up next year. I think it looks Good. fantastic. Uh, talk us through the route for people who aren't familiar with it. I tried to sign up this year, and John was very patient with me, but it just I just couldn't fit in amongst so many <laughs> other things. But yes, definitely, definitely next year. So we've had a group of uh, six of us uh, walking. It's from Islam uh, towards the bottom of Dovedale. Um, up through uh, Hartington, up towards Moniash, Bakewell, uh, Baslow, and then finally Eam, the, the plague village. Um, visiting 12 churches on the way, you get, like on the traditional pilgrim routes, you get a little sayo, a stamp that you can put in your passport and a Bible verse. 
And uh, yeah, we've just completed the second stage, which was um, from a car park at Herdlow through to uh, Baslow, which was great on Saturday. And it's widely understood that um, the route takes place in the greatest county in the country as well. That's what I've heard. <laughs> there you go. And so um, <laughs> I suspect uh, that you do read a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. So what are you reading at the moment? What's, uh, are you reading? Yeah, and that can be light and frothy. Yeah. You know, you can be Richard Osman all yeah. the way across to some great deep theological missional tome. So, well, as it happens at the moment, I, I had to write down the title because it's quite a long title. Um, I'm reading... Great chemists, I, I have know, known. yeah. No, no, it's The Assault on Truth, uh, which I knew that bit of the title, but the subtitle is Boris Johnson and the Emergence of a New Moral Barbarism. Is this Peter O'Born? Yes. I've read this book. You have? Yeah. It's the, the first chapter I didn't know whether to laugh out loud or cry or be angry. It's basically a catalogue of all the lies that Boris Johnson has told um, over a number of years. Um, and it's the sort of book that you couldn't make that claim if they weren't so, because you'd be in deep trouble. Yeah. So, it, but, it, but what he's basically lamenting is that our political process is now corrupted by not just Johnson, although he is the worst exponent, but by a lot of people who simply don't tell the truth anymore. Yeah. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, to have done that would have been a resigning offence yeah. yeah. and would have been seen as so by those who'd done it if they got caught. It's the lack of accountability, isn't it? It is. It's a, shocking. A issue. It, Especially it, when we're talking from a Christian context yeah. and that yeah. sort of truth and, like I say, accountability, yeah. it's, it's a big thing. So it, I say it's, it's very interesting when you read it. I mean, there are bits where some of the lies are so ludicrous that you, you do just laugh and then you think, but no, this isn't funny. It really isn't. I mean, it's reflected across across in America as well. But um, yeah, so that that's what I happen to be reading. It's not. It doesn't characterise what I often read. But I saw the book advertised and thought it looks a really interesting read. Um, so uh, yeah, there's yeah. an Ian Dunt book about Westminster as well, which my children have recommended to me, which is my next read about yeah. you know, the decay in in Westminster and yeah. the, the lack of truth and how things just can't get done, really, because of that. So, yeah, it is very sad, very sad for me, I think. Yes, but you, you don't want it to be like that because it undermines your confidence in the whole yeah. process. Yeah. And then you think, well, what does that mean when we have an election and people make promises and claims? And you think, well, I won't know which one to, to believe. Very good point. You're also uh, a very keen runner. Mm -hmm. I remember last year I was supporting someone else at the workshop half yep. marathon. And I'm sh I thought they were announcing people who crossed the line. I thought, I'm sure they just said John Hibbard. And then <laughs> lo and behold, there you were. That's right. Um, you cover a lot of miles each year. Um, yeah. It's very impressive. You outrank a lot of runners here in the diocese. Uh, how many, what's your mileage at the moment this year so far? I'll hope to make a thousand again. I'm a, a little bit behind the curve this year. I'm getting slower as well, but that's just reality as you get older. So, um, yes, it it's, gets harder. But all the time I can do it, I'll do it because it's good exercise. And I, I like getting out. There's, there's a guy who um, who I see occasionally near us. There's the wonderful thing about living in the north is that people are never short of a word. And uh, there's a bloke, he, he saw me once and he went, God, he said, that looks hard. He said, oh, it looks really hard, that does. I went, no. He said, well, you should look more like you're enjoying it. <laughs> and then um, I saw him a couple of couple of weeks ago, sometime after the first comment, and he said, well, I'll give you this. He said, you're persistent. <laughs> <laughs> so whether I don't look like I'm doing very well, I don't know, but I just keep at it. That's the thing. 
it's good inspiration. I think whenever <laughs> I see you, we can check each other for updates and how we're doing with our running. Yeah. And, and now I need to up my game whenever I speak to John about it. Are you a listener of music and stuff when you're running or are you uh, n- nothing in your ears, man? No, I'd rather just yeah. see the countryside yeah. and even if it's only Bramley. If it's only streets, but if I'm out in the country, even better. But um, yeah. yeah, braver than me, I have to have music. Yeah, I'm no, not no, convinced. No. I tried that when I used to do some running and putting music. I just couldn't do it. I had, I just can't run and listen to music. So. No, yeah, I try and use it to pray or to think. Yeah, I often write a sermon while I'm running. Do you? Mm. Wow, that's impressive. I remember Bishop Sophie did the uh, London Marathon last year, and she said she ran without music. And again, mm. I think sometimes she might have had perhaps prayer songs she played, but. That yeah. would again be a time for her to, to pray while she was yeah, running. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you do London, you get lots of entertainment on the way round, so you don't really need it. You are also <laughs> a Southampton fan as well? Sadly, yes. <laughs> Not going very well again, but never mind. Is it because of the nickname The Saints? Is that why you support them? No, no, it's because it's near where I grew up. I was a choice of Southampton or Swindon, so I think I've done quite well. Back in, back in some of the glory years, so Mickey Shannon yeah, in those yes, days, yeah. I suspect. Yeah, yeah, I remember going down to see the, the FA Cup when they won it in 76. Yeah. I was at school then. What was the midfield? It had long, it wasn't uh, long blonde hair. Oh, I can't remember now. She, no. she Matt Letizia was the, uh, was no, the we don't key go, man. We, we're, we're, Matt Letizia is not man. on this con- No, I know we, this is before my time, but I know we signed Mark Wright and Peter Shilton from mm. Southampton yeah. uh, when Robert Maxwell took us over. That's I forgot Shilton played at Southampton, actually. Yeah. yeah, and we're still playing for England, even in his derby years, sort of yeah. well into his 30s. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm not sure if it was Mark Wright, I went to see a semi-final once at Tottenham and uh, there was a horrible crunching noise and uh, one of our defenders broke his leg in the, in the game, in, I think in, in extra time. But um, we were at that end, and you think, oh, I've never heard that before, and I don't particularly want to hear it again. Yeah. No. <laughs> John, it's been great to have you on. Thanks so much for your introduction to Dev Day, and also uh, for listening to your story. It's, it's been really, really fascinating. And uh, so thanks very much for coming on. As ever, uh, we just plug the email address wordsofgrace at sheffield.anglican.org if you've got any comments um, if we've got any pro Boris supporters out there perhaps you want to send us an email we'll have you on the podcast <laughs> and hold you to account but anyway and just a reminder again it's Saturday 7th of October Dev Day there's still time to sign up but please do sign up because uh, places are going quickly yeah um, there's a bit more on it in network so Mike North has written an article from Silver Youth Angle mm-hmm. Great. it's very much yeah. the focus of Dev Day so yeah. Have a look at that if you want a bit more information. Yes. Do get in touch with us if you want to know any more, but it is on site and online. So, yes. um, and we'll be around if you want to come and say hello and say how much you enjoyed the podcast. That would be great as well. Paul will be happy to sign autographs. I know he's the more famous of the, of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Right. Anyway, John, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And good to see you, Ben. You too. Take care. Thanks.